0: I don't mean to knock anyone who's doing the intermittent fasting because people are free. I, I do. Yeah, I mean, they're free to do what whatever they want to do. It's just from a metabolic standpoint, I guess, you know, sitting in my seat with dealing with a lot of patients, I've had so many patients that come to see me that have boxed themselves into a real corner with the intermittent fasting because they have been doing it for a really long time and they get to a point where they feel like- it's totally backfiring.
1: This is Fat Science, a podcast dedicated to the science of why we get fat. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional medical advice.
0: I'm Dr. Emily Cooper. I've been treating patients with metabolic issues for over 25 years. I'm on a mission to raise awareness about metabolic dysfunction and why diets don't work. Hi, I'm Andrea Taylor. I've been fat, very
2: fat, chubby, morbidly obese, and done almost every diet ever invented. They all worked until they didn't. I've known Dr. Cooper forever, but when I became her patient and we learned metabolism was the real problem, wow, everything changed and I've never been healthier.
1: And I'm Mark Wright. It's time for Fat Science. Wait,
2: does this podcast make me look fat?
1: Welcome to Fat Science. I'm Mark Wright, along with Andrea Taylor and Dr. Emily Cooper. It's great to see you two. Hi. Hello. All right. We've been anticipating this episode, haven't we? The truth about intermittent fasting. Um, Dr. Cooper, I think this is such an important topic because it seems like everywhere you look, there are ads, there are social media posts, there are spokespeople who all say that intermittent fasting is a great way to not only lose weight, but to quote unquote reset your metabolism as if it's like a furnace that you just need to, <laughs> you know, hit a button. Um, if you would just lay the groundwork, like what is intermittent fasting? Define it.
0: Well, intermittent fasting is a way of eating, and there's lots of different methods that people, you know, employ, from eating on alternate days to eating for A few days a week or two days a week, um, five days a week. So different amounts of times eating and not eating is basically intermittent fasting. It's a little bit different than what they call time restricted eating, which is eating for a certain number of hours per day. And the most common for that is to fast for 16 hours and then to eat the rest of the time during the day. But all of these, I don't want to get into too much of the detail because it, you know, we don't want to, to sound like we're really supporting these kinds of method, methods that people are, are doing. And they're, they're the topic of a lot of research studies, too. So there's tons of research studies going on with different types of intermittent fasting in terms of the fasting period versus the, the fed state periods and the time restriction, whether it's in the morning or it's the evening. They're they're studying it from all kinds of angles. Um, and people are marketing it from all kinds of angle angles as well. It's a really, really popular area right now.
1: Andrea, you're kind of in the hotbed of sort of beautiful skinny people on the planet in Los Angeles. <laughs> is and is intermittent fasting is that is that a big deal down there?
2: Hugely popular. Um, I get not only is it hugely popular in terms of people I know and people who know them, you know, the secondary people. But I get stuff in my uh, Instagram all the time for intermittent fasting. And I just don't understand it. It seems like jail to me. Like it would be something that was created in jail. Like, well, we're not feeding everybody today, (laughs) but, you know, tomorrow you could eat. And I just don't understand it. It just seems so, so mean and so... Like, if you think about it logically, it doesn't make sense because, like, if you're not eating, of course, it's not going to – you're not going to get any nutrition. But in in terms of everything we know, but then it's – because it's not going to work long-term. It's, of course, going to work short-term. It's like what Dr. Cooper always says, like, yeah, you're going to lose weight, but it's mostly – like water and the carbs are going to shed some things. But when you think about it long-term, it's not going to work. But some of these people actually have been doing it for a a long time, and they feel good about it. But I also think that these are the same people who feel good when they've deprived themselves for a lot of things, and they feel kind of good punishing themselves. So I, I don't know. Is that part of it too? Is it good to, like, alleviate your guilt? Is it good to... Feel like triumphant. And sometimes I feel like it's a competition. Like, oh, I didn't eat for seven hours. I didn't eat for 10 hours. I didn't eat for 12 hours. Like, I don't know what this is all about. I'm like, you know what? I had a bagel, part of a bagel before I went to bed, and I felt really good when I woke up. And I'm happy. And
0: you seem kind of miserable. And I'm all right with that. (laughs) I think there's something to what you're saying, Andrea, because some of the studies actually did show that. when people are doing the intermittent fasting routines, their endorphins increase. So those are the you know supposed feel-good chemicals or numbing type of chemicals our body makes that can be kind of addictive too. But they go up I, and they said that the sense of accomplishment went up and sense of reward and accomplishment with controlling something. So they, did, they have identified that that is something that feeds into why people feel good doing it which is really interesting to me because that's also a little bit similar to what we see in patients who have eating disorders, um, that that same Mm -hmm. chemistry goes up and that there's some concept of like the reward control cycle, um, there not to compare it to that, but it, it just, the chemistry is, is really interesting, but I mean, I don't mean to knock anyone who's doing the intermittent fasting because people are free. I, I do. Yeah. I mean, they're free to do what, whatever they want to do, it's just from a metabolic standpoint, I guess, you know, sitting in my seat with dealing with a lot of patients, I've had so many patients that come to see me that have boxed themselves into a real corner with the intermittent fasting because they have been doing it for a really long time and they get to a point where they feel like it's totally backfiring and they don't know how to get out of it because their weight is increasing at a rapid pace their um, health is not good, they don't feel well, and they feel afraid, literally afraid to eat. Um, if you look at the research mm. studies, it's a little bit different in the research studies. It, it is interesting looking at those.
2: I feel like some of it is really about control more than health.
1: That's interesting, yeah. And, and Dr. Cooper, it seems like if you're, if you're leaning on intermittent fasting as a means to, to lose weight, and then you start gaining more weight as your metabolism slows down. And then you think, oh, I just need to fast a little longer and, and, and cut yeah. more calories. So those patients that come in, give me an idea of what's happened inside their body yeah. as they have fasted over time.
0: Well, they, have, uh, they are in that situation where they have had their fasting days, maybe they started out with two fasting days a week. And the other days they were eating normally. And then they felt that that was, quote, working for them (laughs) with initial weight loss is what they were really looking at. And they said that they felt fine, but then over time started feeling like their weight was increasing. So they added another fasting day. And then after a while, they continued to gain weight and they felt like they needed to fast continuously. And what's interesting about this is They don't really capture much of this in the research data. So this is clinical, what you see clinically, but in the research data, um, going back to the 1840s is when intermittent fasting started actually. And they did notice this even back in the 1840s that when during the fasting days, the patients would lose weight, but during the fed days, they regained weight really fast and that these fasting periods although they were like they tried to continue to continually lengthen and lengthen and lengthen them in order to achieve better and better control of what they were using it for at the time was diabetes and obesity but diabetes this is before they really understood diabetes that much but they were not seeing the results and so they were lengthening and lengthening the fasting periods until it became something called the starvation method which was, um, you know, really long periods of fasting. And that fell out of favor because of, you know, increased mortality <laughs> that, that occurred. But today, what they find in the research studies is that about 40% of people drop out of the studies, and so what Andrea was saying about it seems like a prison, <laughs> well, it seems like that to the research subjects also that try to, they try to enroll in these studies. So, you, you know, out of over a thousand studies, when you pare it down to try to find long-term studies in humans, you may find two, two that are a year long. Um, and out of those, at least 40% of the people participating have dropped out. Along the way, wow, and those people are are not followed. So the people who dropped out, you have to assume they were not having good results because you would not drop out if you're having good, you felt great, and you had good results. So that's forty percent. Keep it going. So forty percent, almost forty percent, are dropping out, and then the remaining people, it's mixed results by the end of the studies. And um, the two studies that I saw that were longer term um have a little bit conflicting results too. So the shorter term studies, there's so many, you know, 4 week, 6 week, 12 week, and they may see those are also a little bit conflicting. So they're not universal um, you know, results that that line up uh with each other. But what they they can see is initially there is weight loss but it's equivalent to calorie restriction, like you know, diets, basically any diet. So there's that short-term weight loss in the first like three months or so, three to six months at the most, and then it starts coming back. And as I said, most of these studies don't go beyond 12 weeks. So they're capturing that initial weight loss that happens with every diet. And they're not really monitoring the metabolic hormones of what is happening for what we call biologic adaptation. And um, they have done that in some rodent studies. They've looked at some of the famine signals and they show that those are increasing and some thyroid levels are decreasing so it's really showing that it's starting to create that metabolic adaptation that in the long term just like any kind of diet will cause your body to store more fat in the long term
2: but it's way easier to control a mouse or a
0: yes rat it's very easy to control a yeah. person yeah, yeah. 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 ew, ew, ew. <laughs> it's easier So yeah. <laughs>
1: So Dr. Cooper, what back in yeah. the day when we were roaming the plains of Africa, it seems like there were natural periods of famine, natural periods of fasting mm-hmm. that were sort of forced upon our ancestors. Right. Is the human body designed to deal with that or I mean, I guess we can't make the comparison. I mean, life expectancy today is is probably way longer than how sure. brutally short life was back in the day, but, but is the human body designed for this or well, no? Well, a
0: little bit, because we can store a lot of body fat to help protect us. I mean, much more than, say, a rodent or, a, you know, or another type of animal could store. So we can survive periods of fasting. Um, and as I, as I say, they have shown that in the short term, some of the studies have shown improvements in blood pressure and um, lower insulin levels in patients with diabetes, maybe improvement, but it's small in um, glucose. But again, it's not when you pan it out over the long term, the amount of improvement is very small. And it's really not much different at all from just calorie restrictive diets and the number of dropout people out of these studies are just huge compared to any other type of, of dietary studies that they do for this fasting, alternate fasting days. Um, the, the patients, the, sorry, the subjects, they do drop out um, again because they can't stick to it. So my question is hmm. what's the purpose of why people are doing this? I, I don't quite understand because if it's a short-term strategy And you'll make these short-term changes that may, in some studies, they show improvement, but some studies it shows worsening of things like LDL, cholesterol, and stuff. So it's not universally showing the benefit. But even if you did achieve a benefit in the short-term, what's the real purpose long-term? Because it's not something someone will stay on forever, most likely. And even if they did, the little bit of long-term studies we have don't show enough improvement in these parameters to really warrant staying on something like that. Um, And they also haven't studied the harms that could be in the picture um, other than in certain conditions in certain conditions, they, excuse me, they have found cause for concern and um, warning against this fasting strategy.
2: So, What about these claims that you can totally reset your metabolism and make your body
0: clean and perfect from just intermittent fasting? (laughs) Well, the whole concept of, quote, resetting your metabolism is kind of an old concept that people have used, you know, for marketing diets just over many, many years. And so boosting your metabolism, resetting it, um, restarting it or whatever, but it's the idea is that getting your metabolism to switch from a fed state to a fasting state is changing your insulin levels. And so it's trying to reduce it down to a simple equation of insulin, where if the insulin levels drop, then you start tapping into your body fat stores for those fasting days and if you're, and then in your fed state, your insulin goes back up. And the idea is that that's going to somehow protect you from the metabolic adaptation that comes from long-term daily dieting and things like that. But in the end, it doesn't show that that's really what's happening. In fact, some studies show that on the fed days, the insulin and glucose levels are higher than they were before starting this dietary regimen. So they're, they're actually amplifying on the fed days versus what they would be for your standard routine, consistent diet days. Um, and other studies have shown that when you suppress that insulin in the fasting, on the fasting days, when it comes back, it's, it's amplified after you eat also, leading to low blood sugar reactions. And to me, as a metabolism doctor, That really worries me because that is um, a very difficult condition to rebalance medically. And it also reduces people's quality of life quite a bit because it makes them feel foggy. They can't pay, you know, their attention is poor. Their mood is not stable. Cranky. Yes. Yes. And so, so this whole concept of resetting your metabolism, I always tell people, well, resetting it to what? Like to something better or worse? Um, I mean, you, you know, do we, do we, right, do we? Re-
1: but it's it's sort of a weird concept because it's like as if we're a machine and you're just gonna reset it to the factory settings or something yeah. like that. But I think, Dr. Cooper, I think the the larger takeaway though, and we've just tried to hammer this from the very beginning of this podcast, whenever you deprive your body of, food, there are consequences, right? Could you, could you address that?
0: Yes. Um, you know, from a standpoint of trying to prevent your body from getting that sense that, that you are in a famine, that's my whole goal as somebody trying to keep the metabolism strong. I don't want the body to feel that it's in a famine because that comes with these long-term consequences of lower testosterone women's reproductive hormones suppressing, thyroid levels suppressing and giving you less energy, cortisol levels increasing, which is the stress hormone, ghrelin increasing, which is that hunger hormone, and leptin decreasing, which is an important you know signal. So this could affect your immune system, your bone density, your cardiovascular health, your you know, just basically everything in your, in your system. And so my goal is always to prevent these, these hunger signals from developing and so to have people on top of their, their food in terms of regular eating habits and being really consistent throughout the day so that you don't trigger that biologic adaptation, which is so powerful, which can actually pull your metabolic system down and increase your risk for all kinds of metabolic disease.
2: Keeping things even, Stephen, as opposed to up, down, up, down, yeah. up, down.
0: I mean, that's, that's what I believe in. Um, and I know that there's lots of researchers that are really gung-ho for the, the intermittent fasting. And they admit, though, that there's not the data, that the data doesn't support that this is a long-term solution. But they still are intrigued by it as a thing to study, you know, for the short term. And they still have these goals of trying to get the long term data, even though they have a hard time, you know, keeping their participants in the study. (laughs) And um, so, but again, it goes back to what's the value of it in the whole, you know, landscape of what we have, the tools we have for metabolic health what is the place and the role for intermittent fasting or calorie restrictive diets or low-carb diets or any of these things that, that have that propensity to trigger the biologic adaptation, which is something that we're hoping to avoid.
1: Dr. Cooper, some supporters of intermittent fasting claim that there are weight loss benefits, but also the release of ketones, they say, that may protect memory and learning and have some beneficial Effects in the body. Um, again, what are ketones, and do, do you think there's any merit to that claim?
0: Well, ketones are produced in the fasting state, and um, so you they will they do show that during the days that the subjects are not eating, their ketones levels do increase because ketones are an alternate fuel source when you can't really tap into our normal uh, fuel options. And so ketones have been shown to have some protective effects. Like That's why uh, patients with epilepsy, if it's really severe and not controlled with medication, there have been uh, recommendations to, to really go on very low carbohydrate diets to increase ketone levels because they can be somewhat neuroprotective. But in for the rest of us who don't have epilepsy, that's not controlled with medicines, (laughs) they're, you know, they're not they haven't been proven to be of great health benefit to boost your ketones. Mm -hmm. Again, it's for the same reason. Everything comes with a price. So if we're it's not the body is not sort of like on or off or up or down or black or white. It's, it's not like that. It's not that um, we need to starve ourselves to get our ketones up and that's somehow better than fueling consistently. It, it just isn't that way because once you do the starvation mode and you've got your ketones going up, that also sends out big alarms throughout the body that you are in a starvation state. So there's nothing you can do to prevent that from triggering and then all the consequences that come with that. And that's why we have the obesity epidemics we have. It's not because people aren't trying these diets. You know, people are. These diets are extremely popular. The ketogenic diets, the intermittent fasting, they're all so popular. The low-carb diets have been popular for decades. And, but yet our obesity rates are higher. And in my own practice, I've never seen a patient come in who wasn't on all these diets already. You know, they all have been on these diets and their weight is increasing like crazy and they get themselves into a bind where there's nothing left that's going to work and, for them. And so my hope is that we really stop, I always call it like playing with our food, <laughs> like we, I would rather that we look for the answer somewhere else because I think we've exhausted this area, um, but again- Researchers will continue to look in these areas and continue to promote these things because they do value the short-term results, I guess. Um, They value those short-term three- to six-month results that they get on these things, and they overlook the longer-term consequences, and it's pretty convenient to be overlooking them because there really isn't any long-term data to really show them that this isn't in the long run going to work. We have clinical data that really proves it. And we have population data that you can kind of tell because just among your own friends that you see do these things <laughs> in cycles. But in terms of research, as I said, there are so, so few long-term studies on any of this. And so they can take that really short-term data that they have from a four-week, eight-week, maybe even 12-week study in humans or worse, these little studies in mice, um, <laughs> you know, mice or other rodents, and then they extrapolate that and claim that this is, you know, nirvana.
2: Well, as a as a cereal dieter for many years before I came to see you, um, I could tell you you don't look at the long term data. You only look at the short term data. That's all True. positive, and you say, well, if that diet didn't work, it was probably my fault. I didn't do it right. I didn't do it long enough. It was my fault. So this one's going to work because this one sounds really better. And this guy, he really knows what he's talking about. Or this doctor, she really knows what she's talking about. And this is new. This one's really new. And you don't look that it's like 100 years old and all those people died. So you go, oh, I'm going to do this. And this one sounds really awful. So these, I'll starve myself for this amount of days. And it's going to be really good. And I'm really going to control myself this time because the last time I didn't really control myself. So I'm really going to do it this time. And like in the first two weeks, maybe you do lose like five pounds or whatever. So you go, oh, I'm really successful. I'm really successful. So you do it. And then like you're saying, in the first four weeks or the first four like three months or whatever, you're really successful, and then you go, oh, my God, I just can't do this anymore. So then you fa- you fail, and you think it's your own fault.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately- So you go on to the next. Well, well unfortunately, even in the research studies, the researchers tend to blame the subjects when the results don't exactly. go well, the right the, way.
2: And let me tell you, the doctors, <laughs> the doctors that you go to for the next one, when you go, oh, my God, I'm just getting fatter and fatter, they tell you, well- you really are not doing very well with your dieting.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So Dr. Cooper, when it comes to intermittent fasting, does it have a different impact on someone with a quote-unquote normal metabolism as opposed Mm -hmm. to someone like Andrea or me who have metabolic dysfunction? That's
0: a great question. And there's been um, a real demand for testing in people with diabetes because that is the group that the researchers are hoping – That this will actually help reduce their medication and and all of that and there really haven't been enough again long-term studies even in people with diabetes who they're thinking might benefit from this Um, one of the concerns is some of the studies that are out there if patients are on insulin taking insulin and have diabetes and then they're fasting that's one of the groups that there can be dangerous low blood sugar reactions or if they're on certain other diabetes medications and fasting, there can be dangerous hypoglycemia reactions. And so, um, you know, so that group there, the idea is it may reduce their abnormally elevated glucose, but in the normal population, I shouldn't say normal, but in the non-diabetic population, Mm -hmm. then the goal isn't to really lower your blood sugar. So because you already have normal blood sugar, so, um, so you know, I don't, and the and that group they still do look at glucose, insulin, and all of that. But again, there's not really long term data on this. I find in my practice that there is not a benefit for our patients to be on these programs, whether they have diabetes or not. And I can say that because again, the incoming patients that that we see are already doing these kinds of things. A high percent of our patients, if not, I mean, a really high percent are on some form of dietary restriction when they come in and they need help because it isn't, quote, working for them. And we do not prescribe any type of uh, dietary restrictions that way uh, for our patients, but but we see so much of it as they're coming into the practice that we can kind of tell that it's not benefiting at least our patients.
1: To wrap things up, I think we should probably kind of restate what we've talked about a lot on this podcast. And that is every diet works (laughs) in the beginning, right? Because the body has to find ways to fuel itself and it. It'll find it in muscle. It'll find it in fat. It'll find it in your liver. It'll find it everywhere. But so I think that's what's so confusing to the average person because they do all of these different diets and Andrea you you can speak from first hand experience they all caused you to drop weight in the beginning and what did that feel like
2: it felt great i mean look you go on some sort of diet you lose and I mean, I went on a lot of diets, and I would lose 25 pounds. I went on many diets where I lost 75 pounds. I lost 100 wow. pounds. I lost 70 pounds, whatever it was. And everyone's like, oh, you look so great. You look so great. <laughs> and then slowly but surely, it all came back plus another 20, plus another 30, plus another 75. Um, it They all worked until they did it, which as You know, when I first came to see Dr. Cooper, I was like, well, they all worked. And she was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, and how come you're here? I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's how I got here. You're, mm, yeah, you're right. So, hence, yes, diets work. It's almost like the expression diets don't work. Well, they work for like a little tiny bit, and then – how do I say this without cursing? And then you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really what happens, and
0: it, it happens to everyone. It's not just it's not just me. Right, it's true. And people are always surprised that's happening to them because we don't talk about it enough. I feel I feel it's one of those things that's not mentioned, um, even by doctors before they prescribe a diet. They don't inform the patient that you will go on this diet and you will lose this much weight, but then. You're going to regain it and more. Do you still want to do this? And that's mm. not really a conversation that happens. But right, that's the asterisk. They, they don't tell you about. But one of the biggest concerns about uh, whether it's intermittent fasting or low carb diets or ketogenic or just low calorie diets, one of the biggest really concerns is that weight cycling. Weight cycling means reducing your weight and then having it come back on and reducing it again through a diet and having it come back on that weight cycling is associated with increased cardiovascular risk, increased risk of fatty liver and visceral fat increased all cause mortality. I mean, it is dangerous to be doing that. And it's much better to maintain a steady weight than it is to go up and down. Actually.
1: Do you think we'll ever have definitive long-term study proof? On this topic,
0: well, let's see. It started in 1840, <laughs> 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 and even in today's, uh, there's, there's I, you know, I, I just went to update to see if there's any new research, and you know, researchers are so excited that their center is now like doing a one-year study, or a, it, and I'm just thinking when you're talking about people who have actual metabolic dysfunction you need like five-year studies to see if something's going to, quote, work in the long term. Because as Andrea said, you can force your body to lose weight in the short term and even change some of your, you know, biologic parameters for the better. But is it, what is it going to do in the long term? And so we just don't have that data. And there are some health conditions where the intermittent fasting has shown some detrimental impacts, some neurodegenerative diseases where they, the researchers thought it would improve things because of its claims to improve neuroplasticity and things like that. Um, but they actually saw the, the reverse in certain conditions. And so it's a real concern when we're taking studies done in mice and then extrapolating and starting to prescribe for people with conditions. Yeah. These diets as a prescriptive, you know, when the research is showing some cause for alarm and for concern.
1: I think that's such good advice. I remember when I first came to you as a patient 10 years ago, you said this is going to take years. And I was thinking, what? Just give me a pill or something and fix it. Right. And we're 10 years in and we're still trying to, quote unquote, reset my metabolism because these metabolisms yeah. are so stubborn, yeah. aren't and they? And
0: you are. It's a gradual process. You have, you know, you have you know, we don't want to say reset, but it's like rehabilitate yeah. a metabolism right, right. that's like off balance or, or rebalance things. And it's a process and it's a continual process. So it does start early and it continues and continues. And it's like anything in life, you know, when, when, <laughs> when is it good enough, <laughs> you know, yeah. just keep working on, on these things.
1: Well, there you have it. The truth about intermittent fasting. I love how you always go back to the science, Dr. Cooper, and that's what this is all about. So Dr. Emily Cooper, Andrea Taylor, thank you so much. This has been another edition of Fat Science.
2: This is the perfect ending. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better.
1: I'm Mark Wright. Thanks for listening to Fat Science with Dr. Emily Cooper, a Work P2P production. New episodes drop every Monday, If you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This production is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional medical advice. Join us next week for another episode dedicated to the science of why we get fat. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better.